So that was a long gospel, right? A little bit longer than normal, right? We have the passion narrative that always happens. Uh, we go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, we rotate those three over Passion Sunday. Uh, then the Gospel of John's, the Passion Narrative, is always read for Good Friday. And so that's another long one, but it's always the Gospel of John. Interesting enough, today uh, we read from Mark, and Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, but it actually has the longest Passion Narrative. So there we go. You've got a long Passion Narrative. Of course, they're all long, but uh, it's particularly long. And so I don't know about you, but every single time that I get to do it, uh, there's a certain length to it, right? That, that your feet start hurting and you're like, oh, it'd be really nice to sit down right now, right? Uh, and I think that there's a great gift in that, right? Is the fact that we're, we're hearing about Jesus's passion and death. And so we are a little bit uncomfortable. There should be a little bit of a length and uncomfortableness with it because that kind of fits with what we're reading. Now, one of the other interesting things that I'll just kind of note uh, with the gospel, right? It, it's We've already read a huge amount. It's a long gospel, but did anybody pick up the one really strange line in it that doesn't really fit? There's a little uh, kind of side note that says, in the, in the garden, there was also a man with a linen cloth, and they seized him, and, and then he ran off naked. And you're like, what? Why, why did that get put in there, right? You know, it's kind of just a very strange detail to be put in the Gospels. It doesn't really fit with the rest of the story, nor is it necessarily important. A lot of people um, think, now it's not necessarily proven, but I think there's a good assumption or kind of connection to think that that might have actually been Mark, right? It's the Gospel written according to Mark. Mark wasn't one of the apostles or even one of the disciples, What's thought is that he was a young man and that his parents, in fact, owned the vineyard, kind of the Gethsemane, where Jesus would often go and pray. And so he was there and he was kind of sneaking, you know, and kind of, uh, you know, kind of there paying attention to Jesus. And then it all went down, right? So he saw it. And that was kind of what happened to him as he was trying to run away and trying to get away. Now, interesting enough, he would uh, take the rest of it, it's traditionally thought, from Peter's account. So he would actually go to Rome with Peter and hear the rest of the story of Jesus and kind of write his gospel account from what he saw and also what was told to him. So that's kind of just a strange connection, kind of in the midst of it all. It's not even at all about what I want to preach about for my homily, but I find just very fascinating in the midst of it. What I want to uh, talk about today uh, for Passion Sunday is that today is... Passion Sunday. Uh, we get palms, so it's often called Palm Sunday, right? Kind of like Ash Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and we get super excited because we get something special, right? We get ashes, we get palms. It's something different, out of the ordinary, and so it kind of stands out in our calendar year, and we're kind of excited. Now, of course, we get communion every single Sunday, right? Every single Mass, but that happens every single time. So the ashes and the palms are something that's a little bit different. However, it's not actually called Palm Sunday officially. It's called Passion Sunday. Now, when we speak about the passion of Jesus, we think about his passionate death, right? The passion, the suffering that he endured. However, I think it's interesting in the, human, in the English language that we also use passion for something else, right? If you think of passion, you think of maybe a sports passion. 
we can think of a passion or a drive for, for something that hopefully we have a passion for sailing, a passion for the Green Bay Packers, a passion for, you know, cooking, right? We have lots of different passions. But one of the other passions that we also have within the human, uh, human condition uh, is a passion of love between a man and a woman, right? Um, and this passion, I think, can be rightfully applied to the passion that we have today. One of the most important, uh, one of the most influential encyclicals, so the Pope writes letters, and they're called encyclicals, and all the popes have written different ones. One of the ones that's been most influential for me is an, the first encyclical that Pope Benedict XVI wrote. He wrote Deus Caritas, Des, which is Latin for God is love. And I actually carry this around, and I've read it multiple times. I've got it all marked up and everything else. It's a short little book, and it unpacks a little bit about what it means that God is love. And of course, in the English language, you use love for lots of different things. In the Greek language, which is what the gospel was written in and what the New Testament was written in, as well as the Septuagint of the Old Testament, uh, there's different words for love. There's uh, the four main ones are philia, which is a brotherly love, kind of, of a friend. There's storge love, which is love between parents and children, and children and parents. There's agape love, which is this outpouring love, which is a desiring of the good for the other, which is often the definition that we give for love. And then lastly, there's eros. Now, if we think of eros, we often, in the, human, in the English language, it, it's often kind of associated with erotic, kind of this sexual love. And eros is, to a certain degree, um, that, but it's not exclusively that. And within Deus Caritas Des, he kind of unpacks it a little bit and says, eros isn't something that's sometimes accused of by non-Christians, that Christians have kind of said, Eros, oh, that's bad love, right? That's bad. Oh, uh, they're, they're, you know, sex is bad. Well, no, it, it's not. It, it's bad when it's misused, right? And it's often misused in the world. But Eros, of what it actually is, of what Eros love is, is actually an incredibly good thing. And actually, God has a passionate love of Eros for us. So when we think of love, we think of the love, uh, uh, Eros love, we think of the love between man and woman, which is neither planned nor willed, yet somehow imposes itself upon human beings. And this Eros love is often experienced as a feeling, but that feeling and that kind of drive, that passion, drives us to sometimes do really stupid things, and sometimes drives us to do things that otherwise we wouldn't, right? It kind of draws us out of ourselves to do the extreme. And this, I think, is properly understood in what Jesus did today within the Passion. Is that God loved us. It was so, God is so passionately in love with us that he's not willing to let anything stand in the way. Nothing. And to a certain extent, he, he extends himself and is so desirous of us that he is willing to suffer and die 
so that he might be able to gain us back. Now, this Eros love isn't completely within God, completely just solely experienced. Eros love in complete isolation, if it never grows, uh, often leads to disorder. But Eros that purifies itself and completes itself within agape is what ultimately uh, the love between a man and a woman should grow to, right? That when a couple gets married, right, there's a passion there. And there's uh, sometimes uh, extreme feelings, right? But at a certain point, maybe that starts to wear off. Well, it doesn't mean that the love isn't still there, but it starts to hopefully transform into something more. It purifies to be not just feelings, but a choice. And we see this within Jesus's passionate love for us is that he really doesn't want to die, right? He even says, hey, Father, if you can, let this cup pass from me. But if it be your will, so be it, right? And he follows through. He has this passionate love that he's willing to do it, but he also has this agape love that's willing to pour himself out. And God, uh, we certainly want to imitate that, but it only comes if we ourselves are able to properly receive that from God. And so I just want us to acknowledge, to realize, and to know, and experience, and hopefully feel a little bit that this passion narrative today, the story of Jesus' passion and death, is not a story of some uh, useless suffering or some removed story of the past, but is a story of passionate love for you. God loves you. And you are so worth it. And he so desires you that there is nothing that he will let get in the way. Even his own suffering and death. That's how much God loves you.